So uh, great to see you all today for uh, today's uh, podcast. Thanks for joining us. Um, as you know, we run these podcasts all the time, interviewing different people from the recruitment sector, um, either recruitment business leaders or suppliers or anyone who's got any insights into what's going on in the recruitment world. Um, today, really fortunate to invite along uh, a longstanding friend of mine, longstanding member of the recruitment network, gentle Lawrence Bond, who many people know in the recruitment sector. Uh, Lawrence runs an organization called Bon Moran. I'm going to get Lawrence to introduce Bon Moran in a second in a bit more detail and that type of stuff. But what I was really keen today to talk to Lawrence about is a little bit about um, some of the work that he's doing with recruitment organizations, actually, um, and the impact that's having on um, how they run their business, how they're doing recruitment and, and so on and so forth. So, but first and foremost, Lawrence, listen, really great to, to join us. Thanks for coming along today. Thanks for the invite. Absolute pleasure. Those of you... Um, I suppose you're, you're quite renowned in the industry for your magic. I, I had to draw that in. <laughs> magic and the cap, James. But magic and the cap, yeah. Yeah, I've had to keep this on because the lights were shining off my my head and, and I couldn't get the lighting to work. So I've gone corporate cap. <laughs> nice. Right, so it works for you. But I, I won't ask you to do any magic for us. Don't worry. I'm not, I'm not going to uh, sort of uh, belittle you on this particular session around that. But um, if you want to watch any of Lawrence's magic, feel free to follow him. And if you want to hire him for any weddings, uh, birthdays, or parties, <laughs> yeah. recruitment's not available. quite that tough just yet. Not <laughs> Yeah, anyway. <laughs> so for Lawrence, for those who haven't seen you, haven't seen your magic and, and don't know about you, give us a bit of an overview of, of you and, and Bomberan. Sure. Um, so I, I got in, well, I've been in recruitment, um, well, like you, James, forever. <laughs> um, I think it was late 90s for me, started working at Hayes and did three or four years there. And then I went into a, a small business. I went in as number two in a two man business, um, which over kind of 14, 15 years we grew and we, we got up to about 80 staff and half a dozen offices. And my challenge was in that time, it had become a mini version of Hayes. And I was worried, like a lot of businesses, revenue was put at the fore of every decision. And I, I sat there thinking, I, I was convinced that if, if you got the relationships right, if you got the service levels right, if you got that whole ethos part right, the revenue would come as a result of what you're doing which sounds subtle, but it completely changes the decision-making process, what you do and why you do it. Um, so I, I got to a point where Bond Moran was born about seven years ago. Um, during that time, it's been an interesting market, as we all know. We've seen all sorts of uh, new challenges. And, and funnily enough, when COVID hit, that's what led to me picking up an old hobby of, of magic um, that you've referred to. And uh, I th think I'd had a glass of three or red, it was the first day of lockdown and I thought, I know, I'll put some magic on LinkedIn. So went and got the cards out the loft, did a trick, got a bit of traction and then it became a weekly thing. I just didn't know how long COVID was going to last. So ran out of tricks very quickly. <laughs> Had to go back to Hogwarts, but there you go. So, But it, it worked really well and I ended up joining dozens of, of companies and their senior leadership teams for weekly Zoom calls and, and get-togethers doing my little magic part, but on the basis that that was all free. But when we came out of it, I wanted a seat at the table. Yeah, and, and it worked well. It worked well. So you don't you don't think by doing I don't want to dwell on it, but you don't think by doing that in some way belittled or devalued who you were. Probably quite the opposite. Do you think? Or uh, I've always believed in business. Show your personality. People buy from people, mm -hmm. and it's better to have your authentic personality than try and be a chameleon. And you know, in our business, sometimes you have to adapt to your clients, but be true to who you are. And I think you can be professional and fun. You know, we can find CFOs uh, very high salaries, but we can also have a laugh. You know, the people we're dealing with are still humans. Uh, and I think I think it helped. 
I think it showed our ethos and and there certainly wasn't a quick return because it seemed to go on forever and ever. <laughs> um, and it took me out of my comfort zone. You know, <laughs> I, I didn't know 200 magic tricks, but that's kind of what I needed to do to put together. Um, but no, I, I think it worked well. And, and the clients that think I don't see the synergy, maybe we're not the right supplier or, or partner for them. So, yeah, you know, it, it worked OK. And, and and obviously Bomberan, I mean, you, you focus predominantly on sort of finance roles and, and sort of senior finance roles and that type of stuff. You what, one of the shifts that you've done, I suppose, in the last couple of years is, and in particular the last year, I suppose, is is moving a lot more, not more, but part of what you're offering is now is working with recruitment organisations. So not not like a rec to rec, but in essence, yeah. being a recruitment business to recruitment companies, but supporting them on their back office function and, and predominantly finance. What, what was the sort of reason behind that shift? What made you do that? <laughs> it's your fault, James. It was, right, it's fine. always your fault. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> In the same way that everything at home is my fault, um, this one was on you. Um, look, I've been involved and run recruitment businesses for 20 or 25 years, and I've always shied away from supplying other growth recruitment companies with, with their finance people until about, I think it was three or four years ago, one of your recruitment business contacts, uh, business owners, needed a CFO. That process went quite well. And I think it led to us having a conversation that although there were a couple of established firms in, in, in that space, there was certainly a gap in the market for someone with our ethos and our approach to come in and, and work with other recruitment companies. And, and I thought I'd hate it, partly, and I, again, hands held high, I, I thought there'd be too many egos with people running recruitment businesses. And I thought that, that a lot of business directors in, in the recruitment sector would be reticent. It's what they do. It's the service they offer. And I thought they'd be reticent to take advice. And I, like I say, hands held high, I was probably 100%, maybe 95% wrong. You know, mm. we still get the odd character who thinks they know best. But the people we're dealing with are phenomenal. They're entrepreneurs. They want a competitive edge and they'll take advice and they'll listen. And it's actually, you know, the people we're dealing with are superb. And, and at the risk of sounding cheesy, I love going into other recruitment businesses. Everyone seems to work slightly differently, have different drivers, different ethos, different, different things that they need. But if anything, like I say, sounds cheesy, but I've fallen more in love with working in recruitment. And probably about half our work now is purely supplying other kind of growth SMEs or SMEs going or larger recruitment companies going into new verticals, new geographical markets with senior finance people or occasionally senior HR as well. So I'll probably owe you a very big drink by now. So <laughs> <laughs> I don't really drink. It's not a problem. Um, the, um, <laughs> one of the things you said, though, is about... Um... Which I always find quite interesting. You talk about the, these companies having a competitive edge. Yeah. How 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 does placing a CFO in my recruitment business give me a competitive edge over other people? What what are they doing in my company other than not the obvious, just managing my finances? But what, what, why does it give me a? It's a good question. Edge? I think it depends on what type of company you are. If you're a, a an SME that's growing and it's your first senior finance hire, they'll come in and it'll be process, procedure, structure. It'll be someone who's constantly thinking about what can we do to drive the performance of the company, whether it's reduce overheads, make them more efficient, more robust, or it's looking at if it's a larger recruitment company. And very often the larger recruitment companies are working towards an event or have at least got that kind of um, idea in mind that whether it's um, shareholder value or however you know they look at it, they'll be looking at things slightly differently. So you hear the the phrase in business, we all probably hear it, finance business partner, more and more. And, and what we found is finance isn't, by, by the entrepreneurs who are growing recruitment businesses, they tend to design a business that is looks how they want it, where they want to go. Mm -hmm. 
So they don't look at finance as a, a back office function or an overhead. They look at how finance is going to help them get to where they want the business to get to. And by putting a strong finance person in there, they actually help them on that journey as, as opposed to, like you say, that's that's a large. I'll give you a, a, an actual specific example. We're dealing with a company now, large recruitment business, 150 million turnover. Um, when they started, it was a family run business. They put a family member in as their FD and it worked. The processes worked, procedures worked. The owner of the business went out and has acquired about 10 new businesses. They've still got the same process procedure structure. They've now got to a stage that their figures just aren't accurate. They've got eight different CRMs. They've got numbers coming from all different places. And it's actually holding them back on their journey to an event because they didn't look at this early enough. Right. So that's maybe a long-winded way of trying to answer your question, but hopefully it's a it's a, a very real and current example we're dealing with. Yeah, very much so. And, and is, that, is that the typical profile of the recruitment businesses that you were working with, these sort of multi-company, multi-brand, divisional, 100 yeah, million I, plus turnover type businesses, or is, is there a blend? Look, I, I suspect very much like the TRM members and, and people who will be watching this, it's quite a diverse range of people we deal with and, and company sizes, but very often it's someone upgrading a current resource, to put it nicely. Um, but if it's not that, it will be first hiring or first senior hire in finance, if I can say it, um, or it will be a commercial finance person who's going to come in as number one and lead them to the promised land. Right. Okay. Yeah. One of the things I often say to a lot of, and I had this conversation with a couple of people today, actually this morning is that when you are building a recruitment business, when building any business for that matter, I fervently believe you need to be hiring today for the business that you want to become. So rather than sort of try and get to like 40 headcount and then go, oh, bugger it, I need to have this, this and this in place. I don't have that in place. I sort of think it's quite important to sort of preempt that and say, right, well, we're going to be, we're going to become that in the next six, 12 months. These are the people we need to have in place then. Let's start hiring them today and get that in place. The And, and I can see that from an operations point of view. You can probably see that from a marketing point of view. At, at what stage do you think it's the right time for a recruitment business to take on a, a finance person or a senior finance person for that matter? Because sure. it, it is a cost, right? It's a big cost. It, it's a big cost. And, and ironically, if you take them on too soon, it can damage the business. Yeah. And it's finding that balance. There's a whole host, as you know, there's a whole host of people who, who are very good outsourced finance functions, specifically within our sector. You know, Paul Glim, as an example, who are very, very good at doing that. However, if you, most entrepreneurs will know when it's time to at least think about bringing someone in-house. Mm -hmm. Like I say, someone who's going to go to bed and think about the challenges in the business. And when it gets to a point when you're spending a certain amount with an outsourced provider, you could potentially hire a, a finance manager or even a more senior person on a part-time basis. But I, I don't think it's ever too early to start having the conversations. I spoke with a, another TRM member about two weeks ago, and they are using that kind of outsourced function, but they know it's probably got a shelf life of, of 12 months. So we've penciled in to have a chat in six to nine. And so... I don't think it's ever too early to start thinking about it, talking about it, understanding the, the challenges, the costs, et cetera. Um, but I, I think most of the time people are about 25 plus headcount before they start to bring in a, a dedicated finance hire. If you're looking at headcount. And is that a senior level finance? Yeah. 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 Or at least someone who's, who's going to be the number one within their company. Yeah. So again, depending on the ambitions, the growth, if you're working towards a, uh, you know, a, a, a larger event, you might need a, a more experienced person yeah and we we've um 
And I hope you don't mind me saying this because you'll tell me off. Actually. I'm worried what you're going to say now. I, I just realised that I'm just about to say this now. You're going to tell me off. But um, so, so I, I, I was involved with help, helping one of our members headhunt a CFO very recently. Sorry, I probably should have asked you instead. But that, that's um, fine. I, I owe you. You've got you've got uh, okay. currency in the bank. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But there, there's a particular person we're going after anyway. But the um, and, and there were some real particular traits that I was looking for in this particular person from a financial point of view and outside of the the sort of standard stuff. For you, when you look at a really damn good financial CFO, FD, whatever you're focusing on, you know, what are some of the real key traits of a great financial director or, or CFO? Understanding where the business wants to go and communicating financial. It sounds cliche, right? But communicating with people on their level and explaining how finance can help them get to where they want and how mm. it can benefit you. And then any of the challenges, how it relates to you, what you need to do to actually change your your habits or change the business habits and taking people on a journey. If you're talking about the most senior person in the business, nine times out of 10. And again, TRM members will know this with their own communities that they support. It comes down to chemistry mm. and whether ethos is aligned. We could have 10 people that would do a job, but, you know, instinctively, only two of them are going to get on with the company that you're recruiting for. Yeah. How did you find it with the, the person you were going after? What was it that made you go after that person? Yeah, I mean, it's interesting because I think the, to answer your question, I think the the role of an FD or a CFO has changed a lot, I think, in the last 5, 10, 15 years. In the same way, I think HR people, have, their roles have changed massively and so on and so forth. And I think it's less about the sort of sitting behind the laptop, sitting behind the, in an office, crunching numbers all day long. And it's more about influencing key decisions and decision makers across the business. Um, so interesting enough, it key influencing skills, I think is, is critical. Yeah. Someone who can influence people, because I think, you know, the, the, you're right in the sense that, you know, an FD should be part of setting the strategy and the stall out of where the business is going uh, with, the, with the board. But, um, you know, we need people to be able to influence everybody across the business to go on that journey with them. And I think actually, so for me, and it sounds terrible really, because, you know, you, if someone said to you, what's a typical finance director like, you know, you'd probably go fairly introverted, fairly number focused, you know, that type it's of thing. It's the opposite. And, it's and the it, opposite. And it does feel like the opposite these days, yeah. When 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 we used to recruit internally, people said, oh, accountancy recruitment is really dry. Mm. And I used to think about my my contacts and they're people, most of them are people you'd go for a drink with on a Saturday night and, and they're great company. And, Funny enough, I don't know if anyone watching this is a fan of Ted Lasso, but I've just watched the, the first episode last night. And there was a moment when they've got one of the characters, the CFO walks in and says, you're spending this much on flowers each week. You're not getting flowers and walks out. And I think that that's a stereotypical <laughs> impression of just someone who's looking at numbers and why. But it, it does. It's communication. It's commerciality. And, and if you are going to take the company on the journey, mm -hmm. you've also got to be aligned and believe in where you're going nine you know, more, more often than not. So that comes down to what I said about chemistry and and ethos and vision and values and all, all those those kind of parts yeah but you're yeah. right it's very different to what a, a cfo was 15 to 20 years ago it is and i do remember the old days when the cfo i mean you hardly ever met the cfo and they, and they would have their own office and they'd be in a nest and stuff and it was it was fascinating but but now they seem to be a lot more they're, they're floor walking you know it's great they're in, interacting with people and i think that's a really healthy thing yeah. um obviously the interesting question the you're working with recruitment companies and recruitment companies by default and by title should be able to recruit for themselves. Um, in the same way we talk about you know, the old cobbler's shoes thing. Now, if you look at a, a, a cobbler's shoes, they always look terrible. What, why, why is it that you've 
done so well and why is it the recruiters feel obliged to use an external person when actually this is their day job they should be able to recruit these roles for themselves <laughs> I, I wish they felt obliged james i wouldn't have to <laughs> to, to explain it all to, to uh, our clients you heard it here first everyone you should be obliged <laughs> yeah, you're obliged to use us yeah, yeah thanks um that drink's getting bigger um <laughs> look there'll be times when it's confidential and they can't use internal teams even if they have a finance division they've got to do things quietly for a number of reasons um, invariably it comes down to network mm -hmm. and you can have an internal recruitment team who are very often recruiters moved in-house but they still don't have you know our team and and i know it's everyone must cite the same usps oh it's experience but we've got a really small team where every, we've all worked together for 25 years or 24 yeah. 25 years and the contacts you pick up in that time are invaluable because if they're not right for a role they'll lead you to the people who might be and it opens doors um and that's something that forward-thinking recruitment business owners, senior leadership team members, they want a competitive edge and we can give them, and again, that sounds like a soundbite, but that we can give them that competitive edge because we know the right people to talk to. And and again, I, I think you talked about cobbler's shoes. Many of us in recruitment are like that decorator that hasn't done up their own house or doctor that doesn't take the medicine they prescribe to others. And we most of the people watching this will have a process for their clients to follow when they go through recruitment on behalf of their clients you'd be amazed how often that's not applied to their internal recruitment mm -hmm. and we it, it, whether it's the the pace of the process whether it's ident making sure that all stakeholders are agreed on what are we looking for you know who who is going to be involved in the process what's their roles in the process have we got an engaging story to tell that's going to make someone who comes to us want to work for us more than the recruitment company over there? Because the top talent's in demand, and we all know that, but the recruitment company over there aren't a bad company, but what's going to get that person to walk out of here and have a gut feeling they want to join us? Mm. And and it, we've put together this blueprint that we share with our clients, and it's broken down into six or seven different stages. And the first stage is just identifying all the key factors okay you can talk remuneration you can talk time scales you can talk about the things i've mentioned what's going to be communicated to the business but most importantly making sure that you don't get to that horror story that we've again most recruiters will have had where you bring someone in for a final stage and you find out the chief financial officer is looking for something different to the ceo or the md and you're back to square one because that wasn't discussed at the beginning yeah and it's a basic process but you'd be amazed the conversations it engenders with senior leadership teams of recruitment companies when you just ask those you say look here's five to ten questions we need to go through it won't slow down the process in fact it'll make it far more robust and efficient and that's just the first stage of, of that kind of five or six stage process that we share with our clients so again it could be the trickiest part for us turning around to a recruitment business owner and, and it could be perceived as teaching them to suck eggs but actually and maybe i'm a little bit twisted maybe that it's odd that that's the bit i enjoy but I enjoy challenging other recruitment business owners and saying, look, how would you do it if it was your clients? What would you do? This is what we would do. But do you want to implement this? Um, you know, if if they haven't got those processes in place, talk to you, talk to me and, and we can share we can share that blueprint. Yeah. And, and, so, and so do you and do you push back on things like, you know, not working on a retained basis and contingent, that type of stuff? Because obviously. Now, we know you can do a better job, right, if you're working on a retainer, in, in theory, especially these types of levels of roles. So would you push recruitment companies back on that and saying, well, actually, no, if you want us to do this properly in the same way you'd be saying this to your clients, we need to be retained on this. And probably, is that how it works? In theory, yes. <laughs> theory and practice are sometimes very, very different. At the moment, we've got 
three fairly senior roles on with with another recruitment business. They've got their internal team on it. They're reticent to go down a retained route. Mm-hmm. But we sit and we we come up with something that's bespoke because I'm always very upfront and saying that if we're working on a contingent basis, this is where the process could fall down. This is what we can and can't do. But I don't want you turning around saying, well, I've given Bob Moran a chance and this happened without me forewarning you. It, it's very possibly going to happen if we can't manage the process by doing X, Y and Z. I don't think recruitment's overly complicated. Now, although we've broken it down, we've tried to make every bit a little bit better and then put it back together again. So we haven't reinvented the wheel. We just try to do it all better. And I tend to overthink things all the time. Recruitment in general isn't over, overly complicated. And if you have a frank and honest conversation and everyone knows where they stand, yeah, you've, you've, you've got the basis for a good relationship. And if we don't work retained first time and, and we deliver what we say we will or the pitfalls that we discuss actually occur that client will invariably come to us and say, right, I'm prepared to work your way the second time. So look, in an ideal world, clients will work with us on a retained basis and we can throw all the necessary resources. And actually, James, one of the things that we do slightly differently is we think really long and hard about how we're going to represent our clients in the market. So I'm amazed more clients, whether it's us or or other TRM members, don't sit there in meetings and say, what's your pitch? Imagine I'm a candidate. What's your pitch about our company? How are you going to represent us? Let me see what you're going to put out there in terms of written collateral or adverts or how are you going to represent our business? And we go into that to make sure that when we talk to our candidates, it's as if they're talking to the internal recruiter or they're talking to someone on the senior leadership team Mm. who can really get them a little bit excited before they walk through the door. And we do that, that whole process. And again, it's not complicated, but it's how consultancy, I think there's a difference between consultancy and and agency work. And I think that's possibly one of the differences. And that's that investment up front, isn't it? Investment in time, you get better conversions, get a better outputs, get longer term relationships and that sort of stuff. So it was, it's obviously the right way to go with that doubt. Um, just with, with, with regards to, uh, I'm interested in, in in how we attract, you talk about being brand attractive and that type of stuff and make them an employer choice. The I suppose there's, there's a two-sided question here. The first one is, you know, what do you see in, in the recruitment companies that you work with and the, the candidates you're talking to what are they saying to you about what makes a great recruitment company to go and work for? So and the ones that they're, they're ignoring, basically, why they don't want to work for them. And then the second question, I suppose, leads on to that is for a an FD or a CFO, what are some of the things that they are personally looking for um, in a business opportunity? You know, is it is it as simple as they're looking for share options and EMI or that sort of stuff? Um, what was sort of, give, give me a sort of view around what makes this a, an attractive proposition as a company and also for a, as an opportunity. It's a very difficult question to answer because it depends on each individual situation. And it's really hard to say, ah, people are looking for this because we've got a client at the moment. Fantastic job. Really is. It's going in as a number two to a a CEO who wants to recruit someone as his successor in 18 to 24 months. Really develop that person. And for some person, that's their ideal job. Mm. Other people, they're going to run a a million miles because of the, you know, they want a nice job and a nice company and all that, you know, told never to use the word nice, but you you know, it's a bit vanilla, but you know what I mean by that. So different companies and different people, we all know that from our clients have got different drivers. Invariably, what we're finding is people don't want to work 100% remotely, which is, I find a little bit unusual. We've got some clients who want people in five days a week, which candidates are pushing. And it's almost like the pendulum swung, you know. Pre the the word I won't mention again. Yeah, everyone worked in the office. Then everyone worked remotely, and it's kind of been doing this a little bit. And I think it's finding it, it's it's balanced somewhere around the middle. But people want to work for a boss who cares about them. Mm. 
They want someone who's going to say, why do you come to work and let's make that happen? And I'm not telling you anything you don't know uh, and that we haven't all heard a million times. But again, it's actually applying that. So I think in terms of what makes a recruitment company attractive, one of our clients at the moment, their offices aren't particularly nice. But the opportunity is phenomenal. So it's about a managing expectations, but really making intelligent matches where you're taking the the right drivers and you're being upfront and honest. You know, you, you've, you've got to be like I said, recruitment isn't overly complicated if you just talk to people and we yeah. can overcomplicate it. And there's something really basic about thinking, right, what is what is it that's really important to this candidate? What is it that's really OK? There's a little bit of conversation to have beforehand, but if we address it up front, then it's a far smoother process. I don't feel I've answered your question brilliantly about the drivers of a, a of CFOs or or even candidates, you know, what makes a company attractive. But I do think it's being true to what you say you are. Okay. In fact, I'll give you one other practical example. We're dealing with a CFO at the moment who's gone in there to turn around a, a struggling finance function. At interview, they asked, how would you grade? They asked the chairman, how would you grade the finance function? Oh, six out of 10. Sat down and had a coffee with him. And he said, right, I've been here a month. If I gave it a two out of 10, it's probably one too many. And I, I think it's really, really important to be upfront and say, this is the challenge. Yeah. Manage people's expectations. Uh, and maybe that comes from years of marriage and trying to lower my wife and kids' expectations so they're pleasantly <laughs> surprised. But I, I think in life, that's that's a, a really, really useful approach. Yeah. Um, have I answered the question enough? No, not at all. That's fine. It was a good answer. <laughs> it was a good answer about a completely different question, but it was great. No, no, it's fine. <laughs> maybe I should yeah. be a politician. Yeah, maybe. The, um, <laughs> let, let, let me ask another question, which I think is linked to this a little bit. So the remuneration packages that you're seeing that that people are utilizing to bring these people on and get them over the line that sort of stuff how much of the um remuneration is linked to performance and future performance and how much of it is just classic salaries sort of stuff yep. uh, again depends on the level of the role at the sure. senior end it's very much linked to company performance mm -hmm. um, personal and company um dependent bonuses um whether there's share schemes share options um but some incentive at the senior end what we found is ambitious companies, despite what's going on in the market, ambitious companies are still ambitious. So that's the conversations the CFOs and FDs are having with the, the senior leadership teams. And if the CFO or FD is going to help lead them there, they're rewarded on performance uh, and yeah. results. At the lower levels, it's less so, you know, and it's, again, like any company, you can put a, a company um, related bonus in. But again, it, it tends to be that kind of pyramid where at the top, or sorry, at the with the people who are at the, at the top of the pyramid, they are rewarded more for performance um, or sorry, incentivized, I should say more on performance because they could potentially affect things to a greater degree. Yeah, yeah for sure. Okay. Um, experience, do, do FDs need experience? They need, they need to come from the recruitment, obviously the experience in finance, but do they, do they need to have experience in the recruitment sector? I mean, can you bring financial people from other industries into the recruitment sector? Does it, is that a good thing? You know, will we learn more about how we run our businesses if we bring somebody this, in? This from makes a me smile an ironic smile, James. Sorry. Oh, good. That's all right. I'm I... <laughs> oh, just smiling. Yeah, no, look, you got to smile, right? Um, I think in our sector, we're brilliant at going to our clients and saying, look, we're going to open up your mind. You don't need someone from your sector. You need to concentrate on the competencies and the skills. When we get called in and we say, right, how open-minded? Oh, not only have they got to come from recruitment, but they've got to come from the same balance of interim and perm, or they've got to come from our discipline or they've got to come from our geography. And actually people are so now, and as people is a generalization, a lot of the people we deal with start with this really narrow idea of what they want. 
which is ironic given that they try to persuade their clients to have open minds hmm. and we always challenge but we try to challenge in the right way yeah and i think done the right way we've had clients recently the, the chap i mentioned who described the finance function as as not as as he'd been uh sold he's gone in and in the first couple of months has done a phenomenal job he didn't come from a recruitment background right they're you know bordering on a 200 million pound turnover business probably about 60 million net fee income they're a decent sized business he came from a PE background we've had another client recently a recruitment business who took someone from the sector they recruit into okay but not recruitment and that's actually given them a really un uh, uh, pretty unique and, and very beneficial dynamic it's working really well for them yeah for sure but we'll we'll challenge and we'll say well hold on did you know recruitment before you got into it were you able to learn it well if you can learn it are you suggesting these people can't but then again, one of our USPs is our network within the recruitment sector. So it's a balancing act. Yeah. But we are, we spend a lot of time trying to open people's minds and think, what is it that you really want? Forget the industry experience, competencies, skill sets, attitude, ethos. And then can we be more open minded for other sectors that are related? Um, but yeah, look, everyone wants a plug and play, ideally. Uh, and that's where you can start. But so long as people are commercial in how they approach it. Yeah, for sure. No, brilliant. It's been really, really fascinating. As always, you know, I love chatting to you, which is which is great, and I love the stuff that you're doing. We've seen the impact that you've made to some of the members and the recruitment companies you're working with, which is superb. I suppose just to close this off a little bit, I suppose you know the markets at the moment. What are you seeing in the markets? I've got you know I've got my strong opinions about what's going on, but what what how are you generally seeing the sort of the temperature of the world at the moment in recruitment? Well, if I start by saying we're cautiously optimistic, does that sit with the TRN mantra? <laughs> look, we, we are. We, not, we are. Not cautious we, anymore. <laughs> <laughs> um, look, there's a lot going on out there. And rather than tell people what they can hear on the news or read in the press, even in the last kind of 48 hours, we're talking about financial institutions and the effect that's going to have potentially on the PE and VC money that's going into growth startups. But I said it earlier on, ambitious companies don't stop being ambitious because there's a, a little bit of, yeah, there's factors in the market. There's always factors in the market. And it I, we haven't seen a slowdown in companies either planning an event, working towards an event, or thinking, what do we need to do in the next three years or five years to then be in a position to, to work towards an event? And I think that comes down to the mindset of, of the recruitment business owners. Um, we haven't seen a slowdown of people moving finance from outsource to in-house because they want quicker information and reports and or more bespoke or for other reasons I've mentioned. So we're still very busy. We're still kind of getting, as I say, that our, our reach into the recruitment market is growing every month. Mm. And it's almost got to the fact, point where it's happening by osmosis. Recruitment clients are coming to us. And it, it, it's partly recommendation, which again, everyone works off of, partly longstanding relationships and, and, and the likes. We're seeing loads of senior candidates even the ones we don't place come back to us to recruit their team because of the way we treated them so i don't know if we're a good barometer for the recruitment market because we're seeing more and more business come to us but it is a like it's a challenging time but we're certainly not seeing a slowdown in, in what i said companies working towards events bringing people in-house or looking to upgrade resources they've got to be more more efficient drive down costs or, or as i say to help grow the company no, absolutely. And I think, you know, one of the things that you guys at Bomberan are famous for is your 
your absolute focus on customer experience, Kansas experience, that type of stuff. I was worried thing. what you're going to say there. Or well, what no, we're really known for. You're famous for lots of other things. I won't say those things. But, <laughs> yeah, but for that celebrity level of service sort of stuff, and I think that's probably the number one reason why you have business coming to you and that type of stuff, which which is superb. So, um, if if, if people want to reach out to you, Lawrence, what's the best way to do so? How do they how do they contact you? How do they get in touch with you? Harry Pigeon, uh, set of fire smoke. No, look, phone, email, however they want to. My mobile is on LinkedIn. Um, you guys have got my contact details if people prefer to go through you for any reason but we're we're easy to contact night or day um, much to the annoyance of my family I work all evenings all weekends and uh, and that's going to be hated by some people who say you need to switch off but I love what I do so, yeah. so I don't mind it it's that's, good fun that's very clear but I, I suppose the point I was trying to get you to say was that the website is bombaround.co.uk so if any of you looking for I don't need to say it I, 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 I've done it I've for got you. the recruitment guru saying it for me. There you go. So, uh, listen, Lawrence, as always, great pleasure catching up. Thanks so much for your time. I hope those of you listening to this really enjoyed it uh, and picked up a few ideas. If you want to chew the fact with Lawrence about looking at your financial setup as a business, as a recruitment company, you're looking at hiring, um, you want to understand when you should look at these types of people, then reach out to him. He'll always have a chat with you, I'm sure. Um, and he's got a great unique insight into sort of this, the FT CFO hiring within recruitment businesses. So uh, thanks for joining us, Lawrence. Great to see you as always. James, thank you very much. Lovely to see you. Thanks a lot. Cheers, Cheers, pal. Bye.